Welcome to College Unbound, the weekly podcast by Focus Collegiate, dedicated to diverse learning in the college environment. Thanks for being with us. This is Jane Taylor here with my colleague, Anne-Marie Stripling. Anne-Marie is the Focus Collegiate Enrollment and Outreach Director. Always a pleasure, Anne-Marie. Absolutely, Jane. Today, our subject is You Don't Know What You Don't Know, A Therapist Perspective. Our guest is Andrew Lark. Andrew is an LICSW who has worked with teens and young adults since 2005. He's an experiential therapist working with clients in the community doing both talk-based and action-based therapy. He was the regional director of a large therapeutic mentoring program for more than a decade and has been in private practice as a community-based therapist since 2019. Thank you so much for being with us, Andrew. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure. Winter break is almost here. While many of us got a taste of family reunion during Thanksgiving, the winter break can be a bigger readjustment. It's a longer period of time. Many students have reinvented themselves They're not the person they were when they first set foot in college. Their relationships to themselves has changed. Their relationship to their parents has definitely changed. After experiencing a newly tested independence in college, some students, especially first years, are tempted to not return home for the holidays during their first semester, which is interesting. What don't we know we don't know about coming home after such a life-changing foray into the new world of college? I, I think I have to preface it by saying that all kids are different, right? And and I mean, I think that anything that I kind of that I say is like that's with the caveat, right? Because I feel like every single kid that I work with, I could I could answer that question in a different way. But obviously, there are some generalities um, sure. ride. So I think one thing is that kids you know, young adults in this, in this stage coming back for their first winter break, you know, they're dealing with this task of development of separating from the parents, right? It's kind of this individuation and separation. When I'm working with clients, I'm always thinking about kind of, you know, developmental tasks, what they're going through. So, so in this stage, they're getting home, they've been in college, you know, just like you said, they've had a taste of independence and now they're, now they're home. So, you know, it's really hard to navigate this stage for both parents and kids because there's there's almost this like primal need for young adults to um, you know to uh, to separate themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Create a lot of conflicts um, because the you know the parents are used to you know the kid when they knew their entire lives, and now all of a sudden, hey, they've been off to college, they've no curfew, no any, and, and and a lot of that is probably hopefully represented some growth and independence. So. Sure. Just navigating that that entire transition is 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 important. Yeah, I just want to point out that this separation is natural and healthy. This is how we should be moving along, right? Yeah. What pitfalls do we need to look out for? I mean, I think the biggest thing is that you know, and I think we can all reflect on this, right? Kind of when we all go home for you know, I don't know. I even think about it. I went home for Thanksgiving a couple of weeks ago, right? And my my parents are there and we're always triggered when we go home, you know, parents are triggered, young adults are triggered. I'm 40 years old, totally triggered. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So teenagers are particularly triggered 
young, you know, young adults or whatever you want to say, um, however old they are, but they're particularly triggered by this experience. And I think the biggest pitfall is falling at old patterns. Our bodies remember what it was like to be home. So I think just falling into those unhealthy family dynamics is, is the biggest potential pitfall. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like we can, without even knowing it or, or, or acknowledging it or, or you know, knowing what's, it, what's happening, we can just kind of fall back into those old, old parent-child patterns that are unhealthy um, versus kind of creating new ones and make, making it a you know, conscious effort to do things differently. Um, so I think right. that's, one, that's one huge pitfall. Uh, it's just the unhealthy patterns. Why are we triggered when we go home? I, I mean, I, I think it's because we're reminded of an old relationship, you know, and, 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 and again, this is where it depends. I mean, parent-child relationships can be, you know, can be really healthy and great, or they can be, they can be strained. It just depends on, on the situation. But I think we're triggered because it's like anything else. I mean, our bodies remember everything that we've been through. And so, yeah. so those dynamics of, you know, I don't care who you are, um, of a parent-child relationship there is conflict. It's, 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 you know, part of the nature of all relationships. Part of it is conflict. So, you know, part of this is kind of working through that. Well, and I also think, you know, the roles you, you have students who've who've gone through that process, right. Of separating and becoming um, autonomous young adults. Right. But when they get back home, they're falling into some of those same old roles that they had before Same same with parents and it, there's a comfortability in those roles. And mm-hmm. so even if the parents and the students feel comfortable and confident with the way things are going at school, there's that automatic tendency to just go back to that same role. Um, even down to, you know, mom always makes the dinners, but as a college student, I've been procuring and making my own food and getting my own food. You come back home. Okay, and, and now mom always makes the dinners <laughs> and I'm not necessarily participating in that as a student, you know, uh, anymore. So it's just an interesting shift back to what they're used to. Yeah. You're sleeping until 10 a.m. and you're right. at 8 p.m. And <laughs> you know, right. Things are different. How can students maintain their newfound independence? I mean, I, I think kind of being conscious and aware, you know, and I think, um, for young adults advocating for their for themselves with their parents, I think it's a huge thing. Um, having a conversation, you know, when a young adult comes home, be like, "Hey, mom and dad, like things are different now. I've been off to college." And then I think just just advocating for them and just saying, "Hey, how are things going to be?" Getting on top of it, being proactive. Um, mm. We speak to things. It's it's always better than when they're left unsaid. Well, and um, expectations too. We talk a ton about parents, student expectations. And I agree with you, Andrew, having that conversation before they go home for winter break about, hey, these are the things I've been doing at school. And this is my typical routine here. And, um, you know, I've been successfully doing X, Y, Z. And so making sure that the parents understand that and not, not necessarily negotiating, but some of those rules, right? Like curfew, you mentioned, you know, what's going to be the curfew? for when yeah. they go home, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's a good conversation to have at the outset before they get into that environment. Yep. How can parents support this new adult who comes home, this new stranger? They're taller, you know, they're smarter, they're different. How do we as parents support this person? I think the first thing that parents can do is just to listen, you know, to engage in conversation and, and, and listen. 
um, to acknowledge what they see, you know, to acknowledge growth, acknowledge strengths, what's going right. Um, that's what humans tend to respond to. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we all respond better to positivity, to strengths. That's a big part of it. I think another element of that is um, for them to think about, you know, in terms of their relationship with their young adult now and in terms of that relationship, what is, you know, if the, if the task of, of this stage is for, for the young adult to, to separate. And, and I think, then I think that important thing to think about is also kind of enabling versus supporting and what that looks Good. like, you know, how can you encourage your young adult to manage their lives and to, to kind of take control over their own lives and, and show that growth. This is a fine line between supporting and enabling. How can we tell the difference as a parent and also as a young adult coming home? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I, I mean, I, I think, well, let me give an example because I, I, I think it's tricky, you know, but, um, but here, here's an example. I mean, so when a parent is thinking about what's supportive and, and what's enabling, it is, a, it is a very, very fine line between those two things. But let's say a young adult comes home from college and they need to fill their, uh, their, fill their medication, their prescriptions. And the parent knows that, that, you know, they've been doing it on their own in college, right? They've been figuring that out somehow, <laughs> some way. They've been getting their meds, theoretically taking their meds. Now they're home. Um, maybe that they've slipped back into, you know, some old triggers and, and, and you know, whatever. And, and the parent is like sitting here and they know their kid needs to fill their medication. And it's like, what do you do in that situation, right? Does a parent go to the pharmacy, fill the medication, bring it home and put it in front of the kid and say, here you go. I would think that's enabling, right? On the other hand, let's say a parent knows this is going to be a challenging task for their kid, right? And so say, hey, you know, um, I know your prescriptions are up to get renewed. Um, I'm going to pop by CVS after work today. You want to, you know, come with me? <laughs> you know, um, that I would consider supportive. So, mm-hmm. you know, encouraging them to be a part of the, an instrumental part of the process, but knowing that, you know, let's say it's not going to get done. Let's say, you know, they have taking some medication that they can't wait. It can't be five days where they don't take it. It can mess everything up. So things like that. I mean, I think just kind of joining, right? Yeah, that's a great example. And asking questions too. Hey, how's that working at college? How are you getting those meds filled? Or, or oh, how are you doing your own laundry at school? And, and how often? And is there anything that I can help as a parent, from a parent perspective, I think asking those probing questions about how things are going or how they're doing it at college so that they can hopefully that can translate to home while they're home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This brings us back to communication, which it sounds like the mm-hmm. big thing. What can parents and students do to support good communication with one another during the break? Typically, and again, this is an it depends question, you know, I mean, I, I think if parent communication is is fairly healthy um, and you feel good about it, then I think kind of informally doing that can be great. Um, having family dinners, get, you know, family outings, you know, giving an opportunity to just kind of naturally connect um, and communicate is, is ideal. Um, if there's a scenario where it happens all the time, where, you know, a young adult comes home and they're like, they want to spend all the time with their friends and they, you know, they're 
So, I mean, I think in, in, in those situations, or if there's something that's going sideways, I think then scheduling time, you know, kind of like, Hey, let's sit down for a family uh, meeting. And, and that can also happen over, over a meal or over an event. Yeah. So I would just say, you know, just fi- finding time. How about from the student perspective, how do they make sure that they're heard and understood when they come back home during break? I think that's another element of the student advocating for themselves. And again, being proactive, right? I mean, I, I think having the conversation before it happens, before you're triggered, before, you know, kind of like recognizing, because we all know when we're coming home, it, I, I, you know, everyone's thinking about it, right? Before you come home, I, I think a lot of young adults are thinking about how it's going to be. And so to be proactive about it, I think is, is pretty huge. If you want to demonstrate that you've grown and you've changed and you're an adult, I think a, a, a great way to do that is the proof in the pudding. Show it. Anne-Marie, do you want to add something? Well, I like what Andrew said earlier about positivity and rem- trying to remain positive from just from a parent and really student too. But but I think about it more with regard to the parents of kind of entering into this time frame, really focusing on the positivity and the growth and not necessarily even the grades that the student got. If I think the student, from the student perspective, I think about the student coming into that situation and sharing positive things with the family and going back to what Andrew said about being proactive, going into that winter break saying, hey, I really want to see my friends, but I would love to have dinner with you guys on Friday night, you know, and the student kind of initiating and driving some of that because our students can do that. We, we know this. They're doing it already at college. Um, it's just making it a priority to do that. Mm. This proactivity comes with a little bit of expectation. So getting back to managing expectations, we touched on it a little bit. The student has had a taste of autonomy. Now they have to obey mom and dad. What don't we know about making this work? How can we set this up? Being proactive, what else? Yeah, um, I think I think it's really important for it to be clear. Um, so for, for the parents to kind of set clear expectations and guidelines, I think, you know, it's, it's a really good idea for parents before their kids come home for break is to think about what are these guidelines going to be? What are these boundaries going to be, you know? Um, and it's important to, I think, to pick your battles, right? Like where, where are your bottom lines, <laughs> you know, um, what are the most important things to you, um, that you need to happen? Like, for instance, if it's curfew, right? If your kid is out till, I don't know, you know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., like, is that, is that going to not make you able to sleep? So do you want to maybe set a boundary and a guideline around, around that, um, about what that might, what that might look like? You know, it's important that, that it's, it's clear, right? That it's kind of like written now or it's discussed that, that, it, that it's kind of a clear, um, clear thing. Wow. Writing it out. Are you thinking about emails? Are you thinking about a note on the refrigerator? that we co-create with our kids or parents? Yeah. How, what does that look like? I think again, that, that depends. I mean, I think if the parents are anticipating it to go really, you know, really poorly, if they're thinking like, they know this is this X, Y, and Z are going to be an issue. I like the idea of writing it out. And I like the idea for it being collaborative, kind of like an informal contract, but this is the way things look. Um, I think with, 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 with a young, with a young adult, who's going to be very responsive, I don't think you have to maybe you don't need to write it out. You know, maybe you just have, 
have a discussion. You know, again, it's, it's, it depends. I mean, if, if you're in a young adult kind of needs that kind of structure and needs those guidelines, then I think, yeah, you're, mm-hmm. you're right it out. And the most important thing is that it's collaborative and it doesn't feel like you're coming home, you're going to obey our rules and things like that. I mean, that's, you know, that you're not creating a situation like that, that, that you're, um, you're modeling how humans navigate challenges. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm just remembering when my son came home from college, we had, a system of leaving notes for each other. Just let me know where you are. That was the thing. So I'd get a note that says, I'm at TJ's. I'll be home at a million, which is like, okay, I know where he is. I have to be flexible about the curfew. A million is pretty late. I'm just going to sleep because I know he's safe at TJ's house. I love that. That's, That's great. Talk to us a little bit about being homesick. I'm thinking about being homesick in college and then I'm home. Am I then homesick for my dorm room? What's the difference between homesickness and depression? How does coming home for break and being triggered and reestablishing relationships, how does that contribute to homesickness? A lot of questions about homesickness. It's home for the holidays. Here we go. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think the main thing is that if, if I'm looking at the difference between homesickness and depression, which, you know, I think we would respond very differently to these two things. Homesickness is more of a fleeting experience. Depression is more of a state of being, right? And so, um, I mean, you, uh, you know, young, a person, young person could have a couple of days of feeling kind of down or feeling bummed and they could be homesick. Maybe they miss their buddies from college, maybe they're whatever, but you know, if they're still engaging in life, um, they're getting up, <laughs> they're showering, they're doing the things that, that um, they're, they're, you know, they're engaging in, exi- in, in, in life, really. Versus depression, where there might be a concern is if they're not doing and enjoying the things that they normally enjoy, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. telltale cells, you know, signs of depression that, you know, if you know, your you know, your child normally goes hiking, and they haven't been outside in, in a week, you know, um, just that engagement in life, um, are they sleeping till two every day? You know, are they completely isolating themselves? Have you noticed that they have really good buddies and they haven't hung out with their buddies since they've been home, you know, and they haven't been communicating with their friends from school. I mean, that, that, that's more depression. Um, homesickness is more, um, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a fleeting, fleeting moment or days of, of challenge, you know, mm-hmm. what does a parent do in the face of homesickness? I, I mean, I think, be, be supportive, <laughs> you know, um, just kind of sit down and uh, talk and listen. Yeah. And what about a student who's experiencing homesickness? Um, you know, I'm always an advocate for uh, going, going to your kind of toolbox of coping strategies. So, I mean, I think hopefully by the end of first semester, especially a kid who's, you know, a kid who's been, you know, in either in therapy or working, you know, working with a program like Focus Collegiate. I mean, I think that at this point, you've you've really worked on coping strategies. So you know what works, right? I mean, I know that I know today, when I woke up, that I had to drag my ass to work out. I just because I knew I know even though it was the last thing I wanted to do, I knew it would make my day better. Same thing for young adults. I mean, at this point, hopefully you've learned a few, few things a few go-to things that, that, you know, if you do that, it's going to, it's going to make you feel better. So Mm -hmm. so I I think that kind of, um, you feel homesick, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, reach out to a friend, uh, go work out, 
take a walk, um, you know, do, do whatever works. It takes a certain degree of self-awareness to know yeah. that you have to drag yourself out of bed and go work out because you'll feel better. Yeah. And I think also maybe I'm just being presumptuous, but I think for a lot of a lot of young people, um, you know, if they have a therapist or a mentor or whatever, um, you know, use your support, reach out to that person as well. Kinda, you feel stuck, use your support to get unstuck. And that could be a friend or that can be a parent too. It doesn't have to be professional. Yeah. Thinking about the difference between homesickness and depression, when you're in it, it might be harder to discern the difference between these two things. How do you know when you're in the, in the throes of it? You mean if you're experiencing it or if you're like a parent, if you're noticing it? In another and, no, if you're a student and you're, and you're feeling like you don't know if it's homesickness or depression and you don't, it, it seems that when you're in the thick of it, you might not be able to discriminate. Yeah, probably not. I mean, it's not an, it's not an intuitive thing. You know, I think though, that, that if you're, if you're talking about it with whoever supports you, you know, I think that that, that's a huge thing Just that you're having a process around whatever, whatever you're experiencing. Um, I, it's hard to say, you know, I mean, I, I think like a lot of times we don't even as humans acknowledge or realize that we're depressed until, you know, we're like, think about it, you know? Um, so I, I would just always just say having, talking to people who, who are supportive can kind of help mm-hmm. work that out. because the response would be very different. If you're depressed, um, if you're severely depressed, you, you, you'd respond in a very different, different way than if you're homesick, you know, it's, it's more of a fleeting, it's going to go away versus, well, what, what can I do about this depression? Well, and I think for students, you know, they've, they've navigated the first semester, they come home from winter break, and then after winter break, it's time to go back to school. If they know they were feeling some homesickness at the outset of going to college, then talking with the parents about that and, and creating a plan. And, you know, maybe it is that they have a scheduled call with their parents every week when, once they go back so that they can have kind of that touch tone so that they don't feel as homesick going back. Because I think that it's important for them to uh, be able to maintain those connections in a lot of ways. That's a great segue to my next question about transition. You've been home, you've been triggered, you've communicated things went well, things went poorly. You had an experience. How do you transition back to school? How do you prepare yourself to transition back to your new life? I mean, I think very similar to the transition of when you're coming home is you prepare for that, right? I think it's always good to build in structure, right? Um, So, you know, you plan when you get back when you back, get back to college, you, you know, um, you know, oh, I'm going to set up a, I'm going to set up a time with my professionals to talk. I'm going to slot in a time to talk to all my professors about my, um, you know, about my um, learning disabilities, <laughs> you know, things like that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to jump into, I'm going to jump into my classes. I'm going to make time to, you know, to make, to work out, to exercise, um, I'm going to make time to reconnect with my friends. Uh, I think thinking about it ahead of time, how you want to go into that first week, um, because I think it is very crucial. I mean, second semester is a big time when young people fall fall on their faces when they get back. Mm. Really hard to kind of get back 
in the groove. Um, I, I mean, maybe I'm projecting. I know for me, it was a thing. <laughs> like I know like second semester was always like really hard. It's also, it depends. I mean, you know, if you're going to college in Florida or California, it's different, but for us here in the Northeast, you're, you're headed, you're headed back to college and it's cold and it's January and right. you know, everyone's got a little seasonal depression here. So, so it's really important, I think, to be, to be intentional. Mm-hmm. Intentionality. So we have structure, communication, proactivity, self-advocacy, and intentionality. I love it. Anything else you would add to this list, Andrew? Um, I mean, self-care. That's always a... Ah, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Any other advice? Any closing words, Anne-Marie or Andrew, for uh, the holidays, the transition? It's supposed to be fun. I mean, you've accomplished a lot. From a parent, you know, parents thinking about your students accomplishing a lot, students thinking about all that they've accomplished for the first semester, and they made it. Like they did it, you know. I think yeah. that's really important to think about and talk about too. I would echo that. I think if if you survived first semester, then um, you're exactly where you need to be. That's excellent. That puts us exactly where we need to be. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. Really a pleasure to meet you today. And uh, positivity is something we need to add to the list. What a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thank you.